So one other quick announcement before I introduce Matthew Vonstein is Matthew Vonstein. Matthew, if you want to come up, uh, he is the um, yeah. Give him a round of applause. Um, yeah, he can take it. Yeah, he is the uh, Young Life Metro Director for York and Adams County, and he has been uh, so gracious to come this morning, tell us a little bit about Young Life, and just bring the Word of God. So Matthew, thank you very much. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thank you for uh, having me here this morning. Um, I am awful with handheld mics. Um, despite my last name, I got a lot of Italian in my veins. And uh, I'm going to talk with my hands, so I'm going to probably do that like a ton. All right. Everyone on using the, the webcast thing. I'm so sorry. Um, yes, my name uh, is Matthew Von Stein. I am the Metro Director of Young Life here in York in Adams County. Um, and I was asked this morning to tell you a little bit about myself and also... Young Life, uh, um, you guys have, um, well, uh, Young Life meets here uh, in, in this building, and we have known Pastor Dave and some of your team for a while. Um, I, I grew up in York. I went to uh, York Suburban High School, uh, really wanted to uh, venture out uh, and kind of see life beyond York, so I went to York College. And then, um, but all kidding aside, after graduating from York College, my wife and I uh, did spend some time away from York uh, and moved to Shrewsbury. So uh, I'm here, okay? I don't think I'm going anywhere. I've been to Niagara Falls once. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, so I've been here for a, a while. Uh, and uh, when, I, when I was in high school, uh, uh, someone invited me to Young Life Club. I had never heard of Young Life before. Uh, it, Young Life now has been in York uh, and Adams and Southern Europe all together for about uh, 45 years. And I had never heard of it before, and someone invited me uh, to be a part of it, and she was this very uh, pretty girl from Central High School, and she said, do you want to go to Young Life Club? Uh, yes, I said. Uh, and she said, don't you want to know what it is? I said, I don't care. Uh, I, will, I will go. So um, I went to Central High School's uh, Young Life Club, you know, I grew up going to York Alliance Church here on Rafton Road uh, near Penn State, York, uh, for uh, 26 years. I was, a part, but you know, not that long when I was asked to go to Young Life Club. I was a part of their their youth ministry, uh, and you know, I was really, really lucky because growing up at York Alliance, I was a part of a church that really took seriously mentoring young people that were a part of their church, uh, regardless of whether or not adults were. Um, volunteers for the youth ministry, adults by and large were mentoring uh, young people other than their own children. Um, and, um, and so I really benefit from that. I'm having mentors growing up, uh, you know, James Tuttle, Brian Kennel, I mean, on and on, uh, just men who invested in me. Uh, but I, w I went to Young Life Club, and uh, at that point for me, and this is true for a lot of young people, uh, especially those kind of nurtured and grew up in the church environment, um, my my life within my youth group and with my church certainly impacted my world uh, back at school and in my life and all those places. But those things rarely intersected with one another, you know, uh, th those kind of two different worlds almost. Um, and what was so interesting about going to Young Life Club is I just saw this cross-section of all of these different kinds of kids from across the, the school, a school that I didn't even go to, uh, but I would learn uh, going there for quite some time that, you know, you had religious kids, irre irreligious kids, and, and you know, able-bodied kids, and kids with special needs. You had popular and unpopular, rich and poor kids, and, and it was so interesting to me, and I was like, how did these Young Life leaders get all of these kids in this room? 
and it was a party. I mean, there was music and games. Um, and at the very end, a Young Life leader uh, got up and spoke about um, the life of Jesus Christ in a way that I don't think I had ever heard someone talk about before. And I looked around me, and you could hear, you know, a pin drop in the room. And um, what, I, what I learned was so much about Young Life is that for most of the kids in the room, they had met a Young Life leader, a Young Life leader who kind of who, who, who volunteered at their school, who met them where they were, or, or a friend had invited them. It, there, was a, there was this incredible relational context to this room. How do you get all of these unchurched, disinterested, or ex-churched kids in one place willing to sit down and hear uh, about God's love? And it's because what they were hearing uh, in a club talk was beginning to answer kind of this question of, man, why does this leader love me so much? Why does this leader show up to my soccer games? Why does this leader take me out to breakfast, you know, every week and pour into me? Um, and I realized that there was, you know, kids weren't coming for club. Kids were coming because they already knew somebody. So what is Young Life? You know, Young Life here in York trains and equips adults of all ages uh, to go to where kids are. Uh, we partner with the church, like 1010, and churches throughout uh, the, the, the county, uh, in both in York and Abs County, uh, to reach kids. And we always kind of say that, you know, Young Life's eye is on the furthest out kid. Does that make sense? So that means that we're going we're gonna to impact all kinds of kids. But when we think about our programming, when we think about what we do and how we articulate it, we're always thinking, man, wh what does that furthest out kid see? What is it that they hear? What is it that they experience? Um, churched and nurtured kids from within the, the local body can, uh, can also, of, of course, uh, you know, experience incredible growth and depth in the relationship with God as it being a part of Young Life, as Young Life can be a place not only where they grow in their faith, but they're able to grow in this idea of envision and investment for their friends back at school and how they can uh, begin to model Christ for their friends. And so we have teams throughout uh, York uh, serving in high schools, uh, middle schools, uh, we serve parenting and pregnant teen moms. I believe 1010 is a little bit more familiar with that aspect of Young Life, as I think Amanda Smith and Dave, Pastor Dave have kind of partnered together in a lot of ways. So, I mean, every week uh, we're meeting new teen moms in York City and serving them in club. We have usually about 30 moms come out every week. Uh, and we have mentor moms, women who we've trained, um, not on how to be moms, but on how to be leaders uh, and to love on these young women. Um, and so... That's just a, a little sneak peek, um, and it's been going on for over 40 years. Um, and uh, th this morning, um, I, I was surprised to see some of my friends uh, from Young Life came and visited me. Uh, over in the corner over there are uh, Gabby, Keanu, and Brian, and, and uh, two of them are Young Life leaders uh, who came in through uh, Young Life uh, and met a Young Life leader. And Brian is currently in high school down at Susquehanna High School, and um, and so, guys, thanks for coming. It's awesome. Um, but uh, does that make sense as far as kind of what Young Life is, as far as just kind of a, a brief overview of what we're doing? Um, the reason that we think this is so important uh, is that, you know, the, the adolescent and the adult world kind of seem to be uh, separating more and more. Don't they almost seem like foreign to one another? You know, the truth is that adolescents are desperate for adults in their life desperate for adults to step into their life and kind of give them what I call unfiltered social capital. I'm going to walk alongside of you. I'm going to get to know who, who you are. 
through joys and struggles. And I'm going to get to know who you are and be consistent adult in your life regardless of your response to the gospel um, and, and love you uh, where you are. And as I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the very first time that I drove to, well, when I became a, a volunteer leader uh, in college, I remember going to Dallastown High School as a Dallastown Young Life leader. And I remember walking in uh, the school with the team leader, and he says, we're going to go in the school when the bell rings. We're going to go meet with the administration. They know us, and we're going to just say hi to kids as we go in. And uh, I was like, that's crazy. Uh, you know, I was only 19 or 20 years old, and uh, the idea of, of stepping back into a high school uh, was a little intimidating. And I was like, most of them are taller than me, bigger than me. They still are. You know what I mean? Like, um, uh, and, and so we did that. And I remember uh, just years and years of getting to know kids, where, where they are, uh, and walking alongside of them. I remember the first young man that I got to know, Dan Kynard, um, who, you know, I got to be at his wedding, uh, you know, six, seven, eight years later. Uh, it was awesome. I remember when I came on staff, I drove to Susquehannock High School. And we were going to start Young Life there. Uh, I was in 2012. And I remember uh, our, my job was to, you know, begin to know teachers, administration, and kids. And uh, I drove my wife's car uh, to Susquehannock High School and parked in the parking lot and uh, saw the kids coming out. And I knew that my job was to get up and get out of the car. And uh, I went home, and my wife said, well, you know, how was your, you know, your first bit of contact work? That's kind of what we call it, going to where kids are. We call it contact work. And I said, I never got out of the car. Uh, I just sat there and looked really weird uh, and just drove home. And it's funny. I would do that two more days in a row. I was so nervous to get out of my car. And I'm like, I've been hired to do this, and I can't get out of my car, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, Young Life does what it does, I mean, because of Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, the vision of Young Life is that every kid in our community would have the opportunity to know and follow Jesus. And that means getting out of the car. It means meeting kids where they are. You know, Jesus Christ is the heart of, of who we are. And this idea of contact work is kind of the heart of what we do in Young Life. And, of course, Young Life doesn't have a trademark on that. It's just called discipleship, relational ministry, going to where people are. And, uh, but, in, you know, in the adolescent world, it's like this collision of two worlds, for sure. And I want to read uh, an account to you this morning about this collision of two worlds uh, as we think um, a little bit about the, the context, not only of young life, but also hopefully for you uh, as well. So I'm going to read to you Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11, and uh, going to verse 17. So if you have your Bibles, you can join me there. Um, I believe it's going to, yep, it's on the screen. So um, let, me, uh, let me read that. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the coffin. And those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up, and he began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise, and they praised God. 
a great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for its authority in our lives. God, I pray that, um, well, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is present. And we pray that, uh, Lord, your Holy Spirit would be work on our hearts, and that we would learn more about you and learn more about what you say about us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, talk about the collision of kind of two worlds here, uh, almost like the collision of two crowds. Uh, you have one crowd that's following Jesus, and if you've heard any account of Jesus in the New Testament, you have often heard, uh, you know, was in the beginning of almost every account of his life was Jesus and a large crowd, or Jesus followed by a large crowd, or Jesus tried to get away from them and they met him on the other side of the, you know what I mean? Like, there was always a large crowd around Jesus. And I've always said that if if Jesus was in the flesh with us today, I say this to kids, like if he was at your high school, he'd be the most popular person in your high school. Um, And even if he even if he angered you a little bit, people wanted to be where he was. They wanted to know what he was going to say, what he was going to do. Um, he talked about life differently. He talked about relationships differently. Oh, Google just think I asked it a question, and so it, it was just like answered a question. Maybe it'll give my whole sermon for me. Um, but, but man, but you know, people wanted to know what Jesus was going to say and do. And when they heard him speak, uh, they. They said, man, who is this man and speaks, but speaks with so much authority, right? There was just something about him. Uh, and, and I've heard people say that like, there's just something about Jesus. You know, even here, when he walks up to a woman who's grieving and says, don't cry, you would say, well, who could get away with that? You know, whether, well, the, the thing is, you know, what's the something? Well, he's the son of God. He is God. And when he said things, you know, people listened. Uh, and it mattered. And so you have this crowd, and it's sort of, I can just imagine that it's full of life uh, as, as, as all of these people followed him and his disciples. And then coming out of this town of Nain is this woman. And it's a very different kind of crowd, is it not? It, it's, it's suffering. It's grieving. It's a, it's a funeral procession out of the city gates. And, and what does it say is that uh, a widow is burying her son. And what, is a, what does a widow mean? In Greek, it meant destitute. It means that uh, for her life, as she cared for her home and her child uh, in honor, uh, and she had uh, a husband who provided, let alone what we don't know about their relationship and their love for one another, one day her husband did not come home, right? And, and we know that, uh, again, that w- w- even including the grief and the loss that she must have been experienced, this was going to radically change her life, that her husband was gone. And the way that she lived, the fact that she would have been dependent now on her community or others, but she has a hope, right, to continue to be able to kind of live her life in, 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 in the honor of, of, of what women would have experienced in that time to care for her home, is that she has a son, right, a son who, who can work, a son who can provide. And here, in this particular moment, we're being told that she is burying her only son. What I'd like to do is to look at the three actions that Jesus takes here. And the first is, it says that Jesus saw her. It's really easy uh, to kind of go past that because when we talk about the collision of the two worlds, these two crowds, 
you know, the only reason that they're interacting is because somebody is stopping and having these two crowds interact. And who was that? That was Jesus. He stopped, and it says that he saw her, right? I mean, what does it mean that Jesus saw her? What did he see? He saw a woman whose husband did not come home, a woman who is now bearing her only son. Jesus saw her. And you can kind of see everyone stopping, the crowd, the disciples, those who were with this woman, this widow, everyone just thinking, man, what is going on? What's happening now? I, uh, when I was in high school, I worked at York Hospital. And I was a security officer there for like three years. I started my senior year in high school because I really wanted to be a police officer. And uh, I was told that, man, the, you know, uh, a lot of folks would get hired out of York Hospital because there's, you know, 5,000-some people in and out of there every day, and it can get uh, nuts, you know, every once in a while. And there's a lot going on there. And so I would go to school, and I, came, and I would go to, uh, to York Hospital, and um, I did not look like a lot of the other security guards who were, like, ex-military drill sergeants and were three of me combined. And, you know, uh, it, it was interesting. And... Uh, Anyway, I ended up working there for three and a half years, and, and, you know, for the most part, the job was just me walking around a lot. Uh, but, um, it, yeah, things got sort of heated every once in a while, and, well, one of the things that I was known for is that I, I would talk things down before things became like a physical altercation with somebody. Um, I, they thought I was just good at calming things down. I just thought I was good at self-preservation, you know? <laughs> I... I had I had no reason to get you know physically involved with you know uh, you know in a, in a tussle with somebody, uh, so they ended up making me the charge officer at the uh, emergency department, where it was like the sort of the, yeah, it could be kind of crazy there, you know. Uh, there's a lot going on, and so they're like, hey, you have the lowest incident rate. We want you to be where there's the most incidents. And I was like, okay, I weigh a buck forty. Let's see how this works. Um, and uh, and so I started working there, and uh, it, yeah, it was it was a little nuts, but. Uh, there was a particular room that I knew that if I got called to that room, it was because a patient or something, uh, it was just really, really life-threatening. And we would get called into really intense moments just to be there, be there for families, be there for, you know, whatever was going on, we just, we would be there. And so I got called to this particular room, a, a man, um, I, I think about the, uh, the, the, the other church here that meets on the other side, um, uh, that everyone in York here calls the Biker Church, right? Is that its official name, by the way? The bike? No. Okay, great. Everyone just calls the Biker Church. Well, there was this big guy, um, you know, uh, Harley Davidson rider kind of guy, and he had been into a, a severe accident on his bike, and um, he was losing his life in this room. Um, and I got called, and by the time I got there, I was, uh, you know, how time kind of slows down for me a little bit as I kind of walked in and saw what was going on. Um, but his, his wife um, came in, and as she saw what was going on with her husband, she, um, you know, you have to understand that nobody in the room was just judging her or anything. They're just dealing with the situation. But she, she was uh, in grief and anger and sadness all at once kind of dealing with what was going on with her husband. And so she was cursing her husband and, and, and hitting him as the doctors were trying to care for him. And she's just weeping and, and, and yelling and all of these things. And, of course, I knew that at that point my job was to probably to get her out of the room so that doctors could care for her. But by the time I got there, um, there was a couple nursing assistants and doctors who were kind of pulling her out of the room. And I was, like, 20 years old, and I was like, what is going on? 
Um, and uh, um, while that was happening, uh, I noticed that there was a young girl, probably six years old, uh, standing there. The mom had brought her in. And in front of her, as she's watching her mom and her dad, I mean, kids are not dumb. I mean, she knows that, like, her, everything in front of her, her whole world is kind of falling apart, right? And doctors are going in and out of the room and dealing with this little girl's mom. And I was standing there being completely useless. And uh, I, remember I just looked at her, and I looked up, thinking, like, is anyone going to see this little girl? You know, I'm just standing there, and she's just crying. And I was like, oh, this is, okay, this is me, you know? And, and I remember I got down on one knee, and I said, honey, she turned around, and, like, instantly, she just wraps her arms around my neck and just held on to me. Um, and I, I have three little children now, and when, I'm, when I get down, and I'm like, hey, Jacob, like, they just run away, you know. So, uh, but when I was, when I, I got down and she wrapped her hand, you know, arms around my, my neck and just kind of held on to me, I was like, I was a mess, like, instantly. I was like, ha, ha, you know, like, oh, I just started crying. And I was like, oh, okay, you know. And, uh, and I, I remember I picked her up, and she was just weeping, and, and I'm like, I got to just get her out of this room, you know. And so um, I walked out of that room uh, while they cared for her dad and, and took care of what was going on with her mom. Um, I, I want to share with you kind of how that story ends. I tell that for you for a reason. But I just remember that moment where I felt like I was the only one in that room who saw her. You know what I mean? The only one who saw her. It was, it was just chaos, you know what I mean? Everyone was just kind of doing what they were doing. Even her mom and dad, like for that moment, like they didn't see her, you know? I did. And I, tell, and I know that's like a lot of storytelling. It's just to make this first point. But guys, I just, I just want you to know that I think it is an, in just like a divine, spiritual, incredible moment when Jesus stops and just sees this woman. You know what I mean? Sees her in the middle of her situation. Sees her in the middle of her pain. Jesus saw her. The next action that Jesus takes is it not only says he saw her, but uh, you, one, some of your translations might have said had great compassion for her. Mine says his heart went out to her. So the second thing is that Jesus is moved to compassion. The Greek word for that compassion uh, is splachna. Um, I probably didn't pronounce that correctly, but... You don't know, so. <laughs> uh, splachna. It's this kind of compassion that, like, grief that, like, if it, you hurt, it, it feels like your stomach is turning over. Have you ever felt that kind of compassion or grief in your life? I'm sure that many of you have. How incredible is it that after Jesus sees her, that before he does anything, before he says anything, he doesn't snap his fingers and just solve her situation right away. I mean, the next thing that naturally happens for the Son of Man is that his heart is broken. I mean, broken so much that he, like, he feels it inside of him. It hurts. Splachna. For me, and I hope for you, it's encouraging to you this morning to just hear and to be reminded that we do not know a robotic emotionless God, that he is deeply engaged. His emotions are completely thrown into this situation freely. You know, I, I, I have taught messages on friendship where we talk about a lot of the relationships in our lives where, you know, when our spouse kind of walks in the room, if like their eye twitches, we kind of immediately know what's going on or we're kind of locked in with where they are. Do you know what I mean? You're just so in tune with each other. You know, you've heard the phrase about 
uh, children, right? When they're, you know, you're never happier than your least happy child, right? There's people trying to, trying to describe what it feels like where we have this emotional kind of connection with, with uh, those in our family. Ro- romance kind of just throws you into somebody's life and all of that. But one of the things that is so unique about friendship is this idea that we volunteer our hearts to others. That if you're going to hurt, I'm going to enter into your hurt with you, right? So, uh, Proverbs talks about not being able to sing songs of joy, you know, when your friend is weeping and in pain. This idea of like, I'm going to volunteer my heart. So I'm going to sing with you when you're happy. I'm going to cry with you when you cry. How incredible then is it for Jesus to stop and, and to volunteer himself to her and to, and to feel what she's feeling? And that's just not, I mean, maybe you and I uh, are beginning to contextualize a little bit more and kind of feel for, for her as the way Jesus may have. But now just try for a moment being God. That, you know, she was his idea. You know, she, she, brought, she brought her parents together. He brought her parents together so that she would exist. Since the beginning of time, all the threads of her life are going to lead to this moment where soon she's going to meet her Savior, right? But he's always known her. He knit her together in her mother's womb. He sees her. He feels deep compassion for her. And now, this third action is that Jesus moves, right? He's, he begins to step towards her. And what's so cool is that that gives us a little bit of idea of the character of God and why he does what he does, right? Because why did Jesus move towards, we have the answer, you know? Uh, was he, you know, I, uh, when he sees her, Jesus wanted to teach a theological message. No, it doesn't say that. Uh, when he sees her, uh, he wanted to get through the town gate, so he thought he'd just solve the problem so he could move on. No, it says he saw her. He felt deep compassion for her. And so now we know that when he moves towards her, it's because he loves her, right? And how, how, how important it is for us to remember that, yes, we're about to see God and, and Jesus' power demonstrated, I mean, in an amazing way here. But why does Jesus demonstrate his power in the way that he does? It's, it's, it's love. This matters so much that there's these, these two things together, power and love. That's why Jesus moved. It's personal. Jesus steps towards it. And what I love about him stepping towards it is he was a respected rabbi, a teacher, that as he got closer to this, uh, well, you know, my translation says a coffin, but it was like a funeral bear. You know what I mean? It was just pretty much a piece of wood with a, the young man would have been wrapped in linen on top of it. And as he stepped towards it, I mean, you can even sense in these few words that everybody is going like, what is he doing? Yeah, what is he doing? What is he doing? You know, because for a respected rabbi to even get close to this, to even touch it, he would have become ceremonially unclean and would have to go through all sorts of things, uh, you know, to be kind of back into this community of worship and places of worship and all of that. But even beyond just the ceremonial stuff, um, it it was just, in a sense, uh, it's too messy for him to get close to that. And he just gets closer to it and closer to it until the point where he reaches. He says, don't cry. And again, I don't think we can get away with saying don't cry, right? People joke about that. Well, when Jesus said don't cry, people must have been thinking, like, what are you talking? I don't think that's what people think when Jesus says something like that. I think when the Son of Man says don't cry, you might not understand why he said it, but I think everyone just kind of held their breath. Like, why is he saying that, you know? And he reaches out his hand, and everybody, you just imagine everybody staring at his hand, right? Like, well, you know? And he touches it. And it says that those who were carrying it stood still. And he said, 
Young man, I say to you, get up. And it says the young man got up and began to talk. Wouldn't you love to hear the first thing he said? Wouldn't that be great to hear that? I don't know if he just looked, you know, just looked at his mom and just went like, mom. Or he said, I'm hungry. You know, I don't know. But he says that Jesus handed him back to his mother. I was down the hall with that young girl in my arms. Um, I don't know who's crying more. I think I think she she was, but I was I was you know trying to match her. I guess uh, it was crazy. And uh, the doctor uh, peeked out of the room um, too uh, too quickly for me to think that something bad was happening. His body language was like you know what I mean, like you know kind of peeked around looking for me, and he had a little bit of a smile on his face, and he kind of go, goes like this. And so just through his body language, I was like. Oh, thank you. You know what I mean? Because he just wouldn't, he wouldn't have done that if something, uh, if something was off. And uh, I remember I walked back uh, into the room with this young girl and um, uh, walked into the room. And there's this guy who uh, was having CPR uh, performed on him 10 minutes ago, uh, was now sitting up, you know, in his seat. And doctors were still there and doing all sorts of things. His wife was back in the room. Uh, and he's uh, fully conscious and awake, and I walked in. You guys understand that, like, for that mom and dad, you understand, like, I didn't exist when I walked in that room. Like, their daughter was on a floating orb. You know what I mean? Like, that, like that was the only thing they saw was their daughter, and I, and I saw in, like, her mom's eyes, like, when I walked in, she was like, oh, my gosh, my daughter. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and all of this, and I walked in, and I, I got to, I walked over, and I handed this little girl back to, uh, to her dad, um, and uh, they were just hugging. I got in there with them. I was just kidding. I didn't do that. Um, and uh, but it was it was very sweet. And um, and I and I got out of there. But I remember when I was walking away, I just remember talking to the Lord in my head and my heart, just saying, God, I don't know what that was, but thank you for letting me be a part of that. And I had been a part of a lot of really really tough moments in that job with people that didn't turn out like that. But I just remember saying, God, thank you for whatever that was like that was wild i'm gonna i'm gonna spend some some months here kind of unpacking what i just experienced um but the reason i tell you that story is when i look at this story of of this account of jesus christ and how incredible that moment must have been when he handed this mom her son back right and i that i got to do that in a way with this this little girl and jesus did that with this woman's son And yet, I know that this story has to be more than just about this particular widow's circumstances, right? Because I think it's really natural for us to look at this and say, man, I wish Jesus would show up quite like this in my life like this. I mean, literally, I wish Jesus would show up right now in in this way. And yet, I think this account is here for us so that we would see that he has. And then I believe that, his, his, that he wanted the disciples. I mean, Jesus was always trying to clarify with those. You know, he, he feeds 5,000 people, and so they follow him. And he goes, I fed you because you were hungry and because I loved you. I mean, what, what, what we see throughout the New Testament is that Jesus deeply cares about people's bodies. He deeply cares about their relationships. He cares about their minds. He cares about their pain and their loss. But, and, and he doesn't go around those things, just try to teach a lesson, Right? He kind of drives straight through them. And he's so deeply and personally engaged in people's circumstances and all that. But he kind of drives people through them to try to say, listen, 
there's actually more here than just your circumstances. There's more to me than just demonstrating my power in this way. And so that's what he says to a bunch of people who have been satisfied with bread. He goes, listen, I'm not just the bread maker. I am the bread of life, right? He says to a woman at the well, hey, I, I'm, I, you know, here's this, this water, but I, I, you know, there, I am the living water, right? That you'll never thirst again. And I think that for the disciples, probably much longer after this, maybe around a campfire, would think about this story and realize that what was worse than this widow's son dying was that she wouldn't know her Savior. See, but Jesus doesn't just kind of skirt around that. He just drives right through it because in order for him to sort of pull this young man out of death and be able to hand him back to his mother, we know that Jesus would turn his eyes to Jerusalem and he would go into hell itself for you and I, for that son. Because what's going to happen to that son again, unfortunately? He's going to die again. See, but Jesus wasn't done. It wasn't just tricks. Jesus was demonstrating to us what he was going to do. And Jesus would die on the cross and rise again from the grave so that we could know our Father in heaven. You see that Jesus handed this young man back to his mother. I always like to say, I mean, this is what Jesus was in the business of doing. He was in the business of handing people back into right relationship with their Father in heaven. So he sees her. He's moved to compassion. And he acts and he moves. This morning, as um, I think about you all, and I think about some of, of my experience in young life, is this, is that before I even think about, man, what does this mean for us as far as application, that I know that what I need to understand and what I need to be reminded by all the time is that Jesus sees me, that he sees my circumstances. I, I know that there are those of you in this room where um, there are circumstances in your lives that are that is not turning out the way you planned. Things are happening um, beyond your control. Things are happening because of your own sin and the sin around you. Amen? And how important it is for us to know that Jesus sees us, where we are, in the middle of our circumstances. And secondly, is he callous to what's going on in our life, to our pain? Does he just want us to get it, you know, as far as theologically? Does he want to make sure that we just, that we, no, I mean, his, his heart goes out to us. He loves us so deeply. He weeps when we weep. He hurts when we hurt. And he volunteers that to us. Not just as a father, but as a friend. And thirdly, how many of your stories in this room, if you were, if I were to hear your testimonies this morning, would involve a moment in which Jesus stepped into your mess? A mess that you or others thought were, was too far gone, right? And your, your testimony is, man, this person came into my life, you know, Jesus stepped in my life through this person in this moment, you know, where I was. And Jesus touched what nobody else would touch. And testimony after testimony is this proof that when, te you know, when Jesus touches dead things, like dead things just don't stay dead. They come to life. And so, for me, and for all of you, the question I have for you this morning is, who do you see? That's been up on this slide for a while, right? Because not only as we see Jesus do it uh, then, we see that Jesus is still doing it now in and through our lives. The beauty is that Jesus then invites us into this with him. These, those three things again. And he, and he doesn't want us just to try to replicate what he does, but instead he says, hey, I want your eyes to become my eyes. I want you to begin to see who I see. So for me, for years, it's been young people. 
right? I discovered that uh, about, you know, I, I started volunteering a little over 15 years ago, came on staff a little about eight years ago. But I just knew that as I began to ask God more and more that he would let me know, who, God, who do you want me to see that nobody else sees? Who do you want me to, 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 to notice that others don't notice? And for me, it was, it was, it was kids, teenage, adolescents. But it became specific, too. It wasn't just a group of kids. It became kids like Gabby and Brian and Keanu. They had names. Who do you see? I, I would imagine that everybody here this morning, as you begin to ask God that question, or as, as you have asked God that question throughout your lives and your faith journey, that God has placed people in your lives that you see that maybe nobody else sees, right? And we need that. I think we live in a time where we're told that we have to be equally compassionate just about everything, right? You know? Let me tell you something. I think that as we ask God to give us his eyes, he's going to show you people, a neighbor, a family member, a coworker, a people, an issue that others don't see, that others aren't as concerned about. And that's okay. He's made, he's has that set in your sights for a reason. And I'd ask this morning that you would pay attention to that. Who do you see? Secondly, a big prayer for me is that not, not that I would not only have Christ's eyes, but that God would give me his heart. Uh, my heart, I, you know, I, I have met some people in ministry that like when I stub my toe, I feel like they feel it. They are so compassionate. You know what I mean? Like they, they hurt. And I, I'll tell you, my, my heart, I really struggle with compassion. I deeply believe that young people, uh, and, you know, and old, you know, all of us need to know Jesus Christ. But one of the things that I've noticed about my heart is that I struggle to hurt when others hurt. I struggle to feel compassion. And one of the things that I prayed, my whole, and I will continue to pray for my entire life, is God, my heart, like your heart, not mine. God, would you break my heart for the things that breaks yours? Would you help me be someone who listens, who cares? Not just that kids would hear something and understand something, but that I could be uh, a demonstration of Christ's heart to kids, that I would volunteer my heart. Thirdly, God, that I would not just be your, that you would not just give me your eyes or your heart, but that I could be your hands and your feet. God, that you would help me step into situations and places that nobody else would get near, situations that are too far gone, lives that look like they are too far out for God's grace or for God's love, because we know that's not true. So God, would you use me to step towards people, people's lives? And the cool part that God may use me to touch somebody's life, or to, but it's all still God's power. It's all still his grace uh, in and through me. And then we as believers, and this is what I tell young life leaders all the time, you know, is that we get all of a sudden, we get this incredible honor of being a part of this ministry of reconciliation, that we get to be a part of handing people back into right relationship with their father in heaven. How amazing that God would use us to do that. So my challenge for you this morning, uh, and thank you for having me here, is that this morning when you leave, maybe when you're driving home uh, or, or, or this, uh, anytime, that you would uh, just ask, God, who do you want me to see that you see that nobody else notices? I don't know who it is for you. God, would you give me a heart for um, for those who are hurting. God, I don't want to just offer people theology. I don't want to just offer people all the right answers or information. But God, would you help me be someone who volunteers my heart for those who are suffering? And would you guide me 
in stepping towards people in the middle of their mess with no condemnation, to, to step towards and to touch lives that maybe no one else would be willing to touch with this incredible chance that perhaps God would use us to hand people back to their Father in heaven, that we would demonstrate his love in that way. Is that helpful, brothers and sisters? Guys, thank you for having me here. Thank you for your love of Young Life. I hope you have a little more of a heart of what we do uh, in, in here in this community. Uh, and uh, let, me, let me pray. God, we thank you that you uh, see us, that you um, knit us together in our mother's womb, God, that we were your idea. God, we thank you that as we live our lives in joy and in suffering, that, Lord, that uh, you do not look at us uh, with a callous heart, Lord, but that you offer and extend your heart to us deeply. God, for anyone here this morning, God, that we, we could even just drop the application of, of sending out, Lord. For some of us, we just need to sit in the idea that, God, that you see us and that you love us and that you died for us. God, I pray that we would rest there and that at any going that we do, any volunteering that we do, any um, sending, Lord, that we are commissioned uh, by your word, that we would go with full hearts, God, that you see us and that you love us and that you have touched our lives. And God, we thank you for the honor of being called uh, into this ministry of reconciliation. So would you help us see this morning, each one of us, uh, who you would have us see, Lord. Give us your eyes, your heart, your hands and feet. In your name we pray. Amen.